so whenever i decide my menu currently at kavatina i have these key notes in my mind where will a recipe uh, or will a dish on the menu evoke that happiness of a nostalgia of the past will it click to a story will it uh, give a joy of uh, happiness to the diner and the whole chain is as such the whole tasting menu at kavatina is such is linked to a story of a childhood some way or the other Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. I am your host Renita Hora, and I am thrilled to introduce my guest today, Chef Avinash Martins, who is not just a chef, but uh, a storyteller of Goan food. And for our listeners who are wondering what that means, Goa is a state in Western India with coastlines stretching along the Arabian Sea. It has a long history as a Portuguese colony and it is also known for its beaches ranging from very very popular stretches of beaches to laid back fishing villages in the south which is what brings us to the table of chef Avinash Martins. Avinash, thank you so much for being a guest today on the True Fiction Project. Thank you Ranita for having me and it's a sheer pleasure to share my stories and experiences uh with uh, with your audience it's a sheer pleasure i am thrilled to have you on the show avinash because firstly i've tasted your food which is needless to say fantastic and sort of drew me to this conversation instantly you know no prizes for guessing why but uh more than that digging much deeper i am very interested right. in your perspective as to why goan food in and outside of goa does not reflect the goan story i've heard you say this and i have right. to start out by asking what do you mean by that so yes i'll start off with a little bit of a life journey of myself uh, before i start narrating part 2 of the story <laughs> so uh, starting with me i grew up with a mixed family i grew up with my grandmother my parents cousin brothers and sisters and a quite a collective kind of a family and it was mostly growing up in the village so i enjoyed all those memories of growing up with friends and doing summer vacations going to the fields going to the mountains the beaches rivers so that kind of a memory was always ingrained in me i i grew up with all these lovely memories and then i had the opportunity of studying uh, abroad uh, i left india i went uh to the united states i went to europe and i did also do my work uh, gained some knowledge and experience uh, saved some money and came back uh, in 2013 so when i came back in 2013 i decided to sh- uh, start my restaurant by the name cavatina mm-hmm. cavatina is a 40 cover restaurant located in the south of goa and being very orthodox you know south goa is not as hustling and bustling as the north of goa so i decided that let me start by doing uh, like a world cuisine platform i wanted to bring about 
um, all great uh, dishes from all over the world to this part and slow part of uh, South Goa. So that's how Kavatina started. But what happened was over the years, uh, from 2013 to about 2020, just before the lockdown, my style changed. My my attitude towards the food changed. And I said and I thought to myself, why am I celebrating the world when I have a beautiful place like Goa, such beautiful people of Goa and such great stories of Goa? So then lockdown happened, the pandemic struck, and I was there uh, shut for six months. So that was the turning point in my uh, career, in my restauranting, in my chef's career. That was the turning point. So this six months dug up a trajectory of stories and uh, so many experiences where I went to different parts of Goa, visited villages, fishing communities, toddy tappers, basket weavers, chitari artists. And that's when I realized that these people have a bundle of stories which have to be narrated to the world. And how do I do that? As a culinarian, I would have weaved them up in my cuisine and then narrated a story in form of that. So that is, that's how it started. So I have so many questions, Avinash, because firstly, you mentioned that you grew up in the midst of, you mentioned fields, mountains, beaches and rivers. I mean, that's already four different types of terrains with right. different stories, I'm sure, to go with it. And then, you know, listening to what you just said, you said you went out during the lockdown or during the pandemic and you right. met with basket weavers, toddy tappers, chittari artists. What does any of that mean? I mean, we have listeners from India who might be more familiar, but we have lots of listeners from outside of India who have no idea what uh, any of these words mean. So please share. Yes, I'll elaborate on that. Yeah. So uh, uh, the first community I mentioned was uh, toddy tappers. Toddy tappers are these special people who climb the coconut tree. And it's a tedious job. Okay, they, they climb the coconut tree and they tap for the sap. The sap of the coconut is called toddy. Now the sap mm. is uh, used for various uh, uh, things in Goa. First, we use it for making our infamous fenny. Uh, we use it for making vinegars. We use it for fermenting. Uh, our pancakes and making bread like sannas. Uh, we, for, we use toddy for um, various other reasons, you know, various recipes here and there. So the story about the toddy tapper is uh, he has a, an average toddy tapper climbs one coconut tree or, or climbs about 100 coconut trees per day hmm. into thrice, oh into three times a day. So morning, afternoon and evening. So that's the number of up and down he has to do for 100 into 3. That is about 300 times he's climbing the coconut tree. Now, what is interesting is that these guys are not insured. There's no insurance company who's kind of insuring them. So if they have a fall, either they're dead or paralyzed. And oh the new generation, the newest, their, their children, they don't want to take up this job because who would want to take it up? So as a culinarian, if there is no toddy tapper, I lose out on a major cultural... Uh, and a cultural ingredient of my cuisine, which is why I consider them as my heroes. You are using toddy for what? The vinegar? I'm using uh... I'm using toddy for making vinegar. I use vinegar in making my my dishes such as vindaloos and ambotik masalas and reshad masalas. So that's the key ingredient. I use toddy for making uh, feni, which is a fermented uh, beverage uh, in Goa. 
uh, I used toddy for making uh, sannas. Sannas is steamed rice pancakes, and uh, huh. uh, steamed rice cakes. Sorry, and koilodio, which is like a pancake. So these are the and and poi, a poi bread, which is uh, a famous bread of Goa, which looks like a pita, a pocketed pita. So I used toddy for yes. making a a poi bread as well. Yes, indeed, and all these foods that you mention, Avinash, are they not possible to make without toddy or with you know a different kind of ingredient that is similar to it? No, the main key ingredient is toddy. If there is no toddy, the the product doesn't exist. You can't replace toddy with anything else. You cannot. So. what is happening to these toddy tappers now as you've just mentioned that their their young ones their progeny are not interested in carrying on this kind of profession it's dangerous there's no insurance so what's the situation these days uh so the option we're looking at is uh, having a shorter varietals of coconut trees rather than the tall ones because the ones we had earlier were uh 70 80 feet uh, tall coconut trees uh, so we are looking at draft uh, draft uh, varieties dwarf varieties sorry uh, which would basically eliminate the height factor and you know they would be not too tall uh, mm. that's one that's one aspect we are looking at and the other things which are looking at is the the various tools which are helping us to climb the coconut tree without using the traditional uh, tough method of climbing so these two things are there yes So your work in as much as creating the menu with this particular ingredient also stretches to sort of ensuring the occupation of the toddy tapper to ensure that the ingredient actually gets to you is that right would that be accurate I I yes so I have to motivate the toddy tapper I have to make him understand how important his role in goan cuisine is I have to because you know I feel that they are not being given their due importance. Um, if you compare fanny as a drink to any other alcohol, fanny is the cheapest because the misconception is fanny is stinky, fanny has got a strong odor. But if fanny is treated well, if fanny is being aged well and uh, infused well, it can match up any other drink and any other cocktail in the world. Which is why in my restaurant. I only do fanny based cocktails of course I infuse them with different flavors I age them in casks and uh, in our old garrafons which are the portuguese blown glass bottles and we age them for like 2 years 3 years so that they mellow down and mm-hmm. they have a great flavor and that's what I promote so my idea is uh, toddy tapper being the hero to showcase all his products which he's uh, he's offering us and then the world to appreciate the importance of a toddy tapper that's that's the whole that's the whole game and the aim very interesting indeed and i have to ask i mean fenny of course you've mentioned it and this is the age old goan alcohol which you rightly said often gets a bad rap you know people think of it as lower quality or stinky or you know those things why is that the genuine grower or or the genuine distiller is very uh, small in number what has happened is uh, fenny is being distilled on the name of fenny but it's all methyl alcohol with infusions of uh, essences which has been sold for a terrible product called fenny but that's not the real fenny if you go to the older generation who truly believes believes in quality is the ones who are giving us the actual fenny so if you come to my restaurant uh, 
there's another friend of mine hansel was who's also doing fenny there's another friend called uh, mac was who are, who's also doing some good quality fenny so these are the guys doing good fenny uh, in goa so yes there is good fenny and there is a lot of uh, horrible product on the name of fenny which is also available in the market i see so like with many sort of ingredients in many parts of the world what we are experiencing perhaps on a day to day basis is not the genuine fenny but it's a chemically created variety which is not actually fenny <laughs> that's correct that's correct so avinash how much of this affects your particular cuisine created by you as opposed to other goan cuisine that we find in other restaurants or places outside of goa uh so my my cuisine i call it reimagined goan cuisine uh what is so a lot of people ask me chef uh, is it fusion cuisine i always say no fusion leads to confusion so i don't <laughs> do fusion i i i only do reimagine meaning i keep the ethos of the of the cuisine very much alike very much the same but i play around with the look of it i play around with how it is presented so i call my mm. food local heart global soul i keep the the heart is going while the soul is global local heart global soul very interesting so you mentioned the chitari artists earlier on explain yeah. to our audiences what a chitari artist is and how he or she you know his or her artwork is represented on your table right so as as a kid as a 5 year old i remember uh, for a for a church feasts or for our our a um, temple feast we used to have all these uh, um, toy sellers coming and sell their toys at the fair and most of the time those they were toys made of wood uh, and wooden um, like a, a walker for a baby used to be wood and uh, these people called the chitaris uh which me which me, uh, means artists i think chitari in goan in konkani means uh artists so they uh, had this particular design where they used to get these wooden toys and i remember playing with them we used to we used to do uh, different uh, roles of being uh, cooked at the restaurant somebody drawing water from the well as all kids growing together and now suddenly their whole uh, tribe is vanishing because uh, nobody is interested in playing with the wooden toys it's all uh, chinese gadgets and uh, electronic gadgets which is which have come into play now so i wanted to kind of visit the community and hear out their story and when i went and heard them out uh, quite sadly it is like a very fast diminishing uh, community where the children of the chitaris have uh, moved on to doing different things again the so the problem of demand and supply uh, comes in So what I do is I at the restaurant I serve a soup which is called sopa de letra. So as children, our granny used to feed us a soup at 7 p.m. in in the evening, as in after a bath, and uh, we were all supposed to sit down on the table and introduce to put these alphabets, the pastas, into the soup, mm-hmm. and whichever of our grandchildren made formed a name with the with the letra used to get a used to get a bonus candy. so i said why not use this memory and plate it on a chitari artist board and while narrating the story we also serve the soup and narrate the story to the guest so it's like a beautiful connection we try to establish 
Alphabet soup served on a chitari board. I absolutely love it. And I love the fact that I think I heard you say, if there is no memory in your food, then you're simply eating. What did you mean by that? Were you referring to your grandmother? I feel food is very highly connected to a nostalgia. I feel mm. um, all these stones basically evoke pockets of happiness, pockets of joy to each and everyone's life. So whenever I decide my menu currently at Kavatina, I have these key notes in my mind where will a recipe uh, or will a dish on the menu evoke that happiness of a nostalgia of the past? Will it click to a story? Will it, you know, uh, give a joy of uh, happiness to the diner? And the whole chain is as such, the whole tasting menu at Kavatina is such, is linked to a story of a childhood some way or the other. So when Goans particularly come and try this food out, and they, they are told this story, some of them even burst out crying. You know, I mean, these are experiences we've seen at the restaurant. That's just wonderful to hear and really touches my heart because I so agree with you. I mean, food really evokes a sense of nostalgia. I mean, I think that's what led to the term comfort food, you know, that food from right. your childhood, which gives you that feeling of security. Now, you mentioned um, chittari being a konkani word. When I think about Goan cuisine, and I'm sure I speak for many people out there, you know, I think of Portuguese, the Portuguese, right? Because Goa used to be yeah. a Portuguese colony. So I'm thinking yeah. of Zakuti and Kafrial and, you know, these common Goan food terms that I know yeah. of. But is right. it true that the roots of Goan food, the roots of Goan cuisine originated uh, from Konkani influences? Or am I completely off by saying something like that? <laughs> Uh, I'll 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 uh, give you a clearer picture. So uh, Goa has been an invasion uh, for the last 450 years uh, by the Portuguese rule. Uh, prior to that, we had uh, the local uh, Gaud Saraswat uh, Brahmins uh, of Goa uh, and the Hindu communities. Prior to that, they were the Aboriginals or the natives of uh, the land, which were the tribes. Uh, the Vilips, hmm. the Kunbis, the Gaudas, the Dangars. So Goa is an amalgamation of different food cultures. So you have the Indo-Portuguese culture, you have the Saraswat and the Hindu culture, you have the, um, the tribal culture, which is a mix of Catholic and uh, Hindu tribal food. So it's a beautiful mix. What we get to hear nowadays is just a small percentage of a few dishes which have been like explored out of the world, but... There is a huge, huge, huge repertoire of dishes which I am getting it out, which I am uh, putting it on my tasting menu. And even locals don't know and not, have not heard about them. So there's much, much more to just go on food than this Vindalus and the Shakutis. So Avinash, how does the world get to taste all of this diverse cuisine? You've got the one cavatina in South Goa. And now, from what I understand, you're doing various pop-ups all over the place. But in right. India, outside of India, uh, how do we get to explore and experiment and taste all this? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Well, uh, the zeal is to reach out to the world. Uh, so I started this journey about two, in, about two years back, starting with the newer menu at Kavatina. 
last year and uh, end of last year, I would say mid last year, uh, we started reaching out to India and we were received very warmly. Uh, people from all corners of India, especially Delhi and the northern states who, you know, uh, don't have much of an idea about Goan cuisine, uh, loved the flavors that we brought together to them. And uh, that gave us the confidence that, you know, yes, our food is being appreciated. Our food is being loved. It's not just a few dishes here and there and the vinegary and the chili part of what Goa is known for. It's much more than that. So, yes, we, we are wanting to get the food. I want to get food to the United States of America. I want to get food to uh, Europe. I want to get food to Southeast Asia. That's my zeal. I'll do pop-ups. I will definitely do collaborations with, with chefs there. Again, from your uh, medium of your podcast, I would write, like to reach out to some great culinarians in, in, the, in the States and like to be invited to come and uh, share my part of culture and my cuisine. Well, we would certainly love to have your cuisine and you in the United States. I know that I speak for a very large uh, uh, country and population, but uh, I, I am absolutely speaking for them. And certainly included with the caption of this particular podcast, we will include links, any links that you give us or any ways in which we can get in touch with you and your food. Uh, and certainly you'll have to let us know when you are coming to the United States so that uh, we could do another show in preparation for that. But in the meantime, sure. Avinash, do let us know where we can find out more about your work. Do you have a website or an Instagram page or where can we learn more? Yes, I have an Instagram page, which I'm very active on. Um, actually, I don't have somebody else doing my social media. I do it myself. I don't have a PR agency for my restaurant. We do it ourselves. So it's all our work and our reflection. Uh, what you see is what we actually uh, serve. And uh, there's no uh, there's no middleman involved here. The, so I'll send you the links uh, of my Insta page, uh, Chef Avinash Martins, Cavatina Goa, and my farm-to-table concept, Table in the Hills. So I'll we'll put it up on the link. Fantastic. We certainly look forward to that. And before we close out this interview, I must ask, is there any one particular kind of ingredient that you would say is quintessentially gone that maybe we don't know about? Uh, uh, there are so many ingredients which are quintessentially gone. Uh, but again, I just said... For me, the most important ingredient in Goan cuisine would be coconut. Uh, mm, coconut, coconut in all forms uh, is a versatile uh, element in our cooking. Uh, there's nothing of the coconut which goes to waste. Uh, if you talk about the tree itself, the tree bar, the tree stem is cut as rafters for the roof. The leaves are woven to make uh, beautiful uh, uh, shade uh, nets. Then uh, the, the spikes are used for making brooms. Uh, the coconut, the husk is used for making ropes. Uh, the shell is used for your dehyd uh, deactivated coconut charcoal and all forms of other stuff. The coconut kernel is used for so many versatile desserts, curries, paste. You dry it, you get oils. Coconut water is used for refreshing us. And the toddy, is, I mean, that's one ingredient which is considered like a god in probably Goa. I don't think... Uh, you know, when, when I was a kid, my uh, caretaker, uh, she used to tell me that they used to say the coconut is like a son of, of the house. And I used to wonder, laugh. I like, how will a son be equivalent to a coconut? 
and that's that's the story they used to tell me that you know everything of the coconut is is uh, put to use and a coconut tree uh, in the olden days lasted a uh, 2 300 years it didn't die off well so it see it saw so many uh, generations of uh, of people so it was quite clearly the son of the house well clearly from what you're saying avinash one could argue yeah. that a coconut is far more valuable perhaps than the son of many houses <laughs> so <laughs> i i guess it depends on well the household said. you know well said <laughs> um all right avinash i don't know if i explained but certainly the premise of this particular podcast is for one of our fiction writers to listen to this interview and then okay. write a piece of audio fiction inspired by it so i wanted okay. to ask you as we close out if you yeah. could give the writer a writing prompt what would it be it's about the bread it's about the pao so we have we open up our uh, tasting menu with this first course called the pader pader pong pong now the pader in konkani means uh, the baker and pong pong means the honk the sound which they come and blow their horns in the morning so that used to be a alarm clock for all our our as kids all our goons we never woke up to a alarm clock the alarm was the pong pong sound and we knew that 6 o'clock sharp that the baker would come and give deliver us bread at home beat any season of the year rainy season summer season winter season the guy would be there 6 o'clock sharp and uh, my heart goes out to them because these guys work in harsh conditions they work at uh, at they start work at 11 12 uh, midnight and they work throughout the night and in the hottest of atmospheres they are drenched in sweat and they deliver us bread without fail never we have told a baker saying that boss your bread is too good it's like a thankless job and you know the origin of bread in goa or in india was in our neighboring village majorda that's how the jesuits got the bread uh, yes that's how the bread came in and when the jesuits came here they didn't have uh, yeast as a uh, as a as a raising agent uh, so they used toddy they used uh, toddy and they made bread out of toddy and that's how kind of the bread was taken to each and every house from village to village and when the portuguese daughter was given uh, as a as a to the british uh, they the cooks along went with her and bread was given to bombay and that's how bread reached bombay for the famous vada pav what they have today that's a gift from goa that's a gift <laughs> and that's how bread yes that's a gift of bread from goa which went as a with the dowry as a dowry uh, the cooks also went with the with the princess and then they started making this particular bread there and from bombay it went to calcutta and spread all over india so i, I would definitely want uh, your fiction writer to mention about the bread story the bread story and what a story that is being a person from bombay myself uh, i certainly know the value of vada pav and all, <laughs> all of the wonderful <laughs> bread that we have so thank right. you for sharing that avinash it has been a pleasure to speak with you and uh, i really look forward to my next visit to cavatina to see what you have added to the menu thank you for being a guest on the true fiction project my pleasure rita it's it's a sure pleasure to have you uh, at cavatina and i'm sure uh, when you whenever you're back we'll churn out something different and surprising for you and thanks Fantastic. for having me on your show 
That was Chef Avinash Martins, chef extraordinaire, owner of Cavatina Goa in South Goa, and storyteller of Goan cuisine. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of non-fiction. The rhythmic sound of Ram's bread van, which typically heralded the morning in the village, held a different tune today. Worry clouded Ram's usually cheerful demeanor as he stood outside his bakery, nestled near the tranquil river. The relentless monsoon rains had wreaked havoc, and panic had taken hold. All my yeast has been ruined, Manohar. I have a critical Mumbai order to fulfill, but how am I going to do it now? His neighbor Manohar, known for his skill in tapping toddy, stepped forward. In his eyes, a spark of an idea ignited. Ram, let's go back to the old ways. Ram, looking puzzled and desperate, questioned Manohar's statement. What do you mean by that, Manohar? Your yeast may be destroyed, but I have a cellar filled with enough toddy cakes to last a year. Yes. Let's return to making pow the way our ancestors did. Remember the recipe they brought from Portugal? The one using toddy to ferment the bread. Ram hesitated. That's a challenging process and I need to make it overnight for the Mumbai order. If the Portuguese could make it work in the 1500s, then you can make it work today. I'll help you. After all, what's real power without the toddy? And so, with determination in their hearts, they embarked on the arduous journey of perfecting the toddy fermented bread. Hours slipped away filled with the clinking of utensils and whispered discussions. Along the way, they encountered numerous obstacles and faced countless failures. The initial batches of toddy bread tasted dreadful, and frustration threatened to consume them. As they pressed on, the night darkened around them. They teetered on the edge of giving up when at last, they achieved a breakthrough. The toddy bread exhibited the distinctive flavor they had strived to recreate. Yet, their moment of relief was to be short-lived, in the early morning light, as the first rays of dawn pierced through the bakery's windows, Ram and Manohar ventured into the kitchen. There they bore witness to a shocking scene. A diminutive man, unmistakably a villager, clad in audacious orange attire, was hastily loading their entire batch of prepared dough onto the back of a compact truck parked just outside the bakery. The thief's eyes met theirs, and without a moment's hesitation, he leaped into the driver's seat, igniting the engine. Ram and Manohar exchanged alarmed glances, their hearts pounding as they grasped the audacious theft unfurling before them. Reacting instinctively, they sprang into action. Stop! What do you think you're doing? Caught red-handed, the thief pivoted to confront the furious bread seller and the determined toddy tapper charging toward him. Without a word, he accelerated away, leaving a haze of flower particles swirling in his wake. Fueled by adrenaline and an unwavering resolve to reclaim their stolen dough, Ram and Manohar vaulted into Ram's delivery van. The engine roared to life, and they plunged into a heart-pounding car chase through the labyrinthine streets of their Goan village. We can't let him get away, Manohar. Hold on, Ram. We are closing in. Just when it seemed they had finally caught up, the thief executed a daring maneuver, darting into a narrow alley. 
Ram followed suit, the van's tires screeching as they navigated the confined space. The chase ultimately led them to the heart of the village, where the thief's truck came to a screeching halt. Ram and Manohar leaped out of the van, determination etched on their faces as they confronted the thief. It's over. Give us back our dough. The thief faced them, his eyes darting nervously as he spoke. Fine, I took your dough. But it's not about the bread, it's about the money the multinational company promised. Ram was incensed. What do you mean multinational? You were selling our cherished family recipe to some faceless conglomerate? But the thief, caught in the act had no intentions of being apprehended. Without another word, he revved up the engine and sped away, leaving Ram and Manohar staring helplessly at the receding tail lights of his vehicle. The stolen batch of dough was gone, and they had been unable to thwart his escape. The sense of defeat weighed heavily on them as they trudged back to Ram's bakery. As they surveyed the scene, disappointment etched on their faces over the loss of the stolen dough, Manohar stumbled upon something extraordinary. Hidden beneath a table covered in a fine layer of flour, a single sheet of paper lay crumpled but intact. Take a look at this. Ram grabbed the paper, a frown creasing his brow as a realization dawned on him. This? This is our toddy bread recipe. Yes. He took the bread but left this. As they closely examined the recipe, their eyes widened. Scribbled in the margins, were notes that strongly hinted at a multinational company's keen interest in acquiring the secret behind their aged-old family recipe. They were after our formula all along. Ram and Manohar stood there, stunned by this revelation. The thief had successfully absconded with the stolen dough but had unintentionally left behind the recipe that was the very heart of their culinary tradition. Just how far would this company go to protect their culinary legacy, and what hidden secrets did their humble recipe hold that made it so incredibly valuable? The intrigue deepened, leaving them to contemplate the latent potential of their culinary heritage, now safeguarded within a single sheet of paper. Here at the True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to the True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Hold up. 